This episode is an introduction to the music of The Rise of Skywalker. Hello there, and welcome to Star Wars Music Minute, where we celebrate the music and sound of Star Wars five cinematic minutes at a time. I'm Chrysanthi Tan, feel free to call me Xanthi, and today begins our detailed coverage of John Williams's final Star Wars film, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. In the first five minutes of the film, we get the opening crawl, we see Kylo Ren mid-slaughter in his search for Vader's Wayfinder, which he does find. Um, after Kylo Ren finds the Wayfinder, he promptly heads over to Exegol, where we see glints of the Citadel and the Sith Auditorium, and this is where Palpatine begins to speak to him. For this podcast episode, I want to dig into the five minutes first before going over any big picture stuff, and that's because these minutes introduce us to a couple new themes, uh, and that will be a good jumping off point for the second part of this podcast episode, in which I will go over some more of the meta stuff about this movie, which there is a lot, as we all know. Um, I will share some hypotheses I have about the rest of the film and emerging thoughts about the music. Uh, I will talk about what I think the whole point of this season is, like what the point of doing this film is and what guiding principles are informing my conversations with the guests. So part one, as you can already see on screen, I already have the opening crawl up on screen, so part one is the chronological stuff. It's going through the minutes. So, as usual, the film begins with the opening crawl and the main theme. Um, As you can hear, that so rudely interrupt me. Here, of course, we have the crawl, which says, the dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast. I can't listen and talk at the same time, so I'm just gonna stop that for a second. Okay, the dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power. And as is typical for the saga films, one through nine, we hear the main theme, which starts with, you know, familiar leitmotifs. Um, This is the main theme A section. Um, I'll keep playing now. And now we have the main theme B section the more lyrical. On the soundtrack, you can find this on track one, fanfare and prologue. Always exciting to hear this at the beginning of a film, I think, I think. Okay, so I'm gonna turn it down a little bit while I prepare you for the end of this song that we all know so well. Um, The two little um, incidental motifs that we hear at the end are are listed in Frank Lehman's catalog. So let's hear. Did you hear them? It's okay if you didn't. Um, So the first one, I guess I just want to cause, oh, my, my, my framing is a little bit off here. Let me just Get rid of that. Okay, so the um, 
the end of the the end of I keep calling it a crawl, but it's you know it's the main title. The end where the violins start ascending, like this. That part. I don't even know if the notes are. I'm not gonna play it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, that part is is listed in Frank Lehman's catalog as romantic descending trichords. Um, I always forget to bring this up when we're like in episode one in the first five minutes of a Star Wars, even though it's like the main, the main theme, it's easy to kind of skip over. But I mean, I, I guess I do want to, want to point it out um, because little names like this pop up all over the place in, in the incidental motifs. And um, I guess this is a, a low stakes way to, to remind you all that the, by trichords, that just refers to the fact that the triplets are, they're moving in three. It's a series of three notes. So, etc. So that's what that is. And then the other one that we hear at the end is Starry Night Arpeggios. You can barely hear it. It's really part of the texture. So it's the in the background that the strings are playing. Um, yeah, polychordal arpeggios invariant part of transition from main title to the first non-diegetic cue, often leading to characteristic but variable hexatonic harmonic material, revived cleverly during reminiscence therapy sequence in solo. Um, yeah, and just to remind everyone, um, of course, when I'm referring to Frank Lehman, I'm talking about the creator of the complete catalog of the themes of Star Wars. And I recommend, if you haven't checked it out in a while, give it a check, give it a check out, um, franklehman.com slash Star Wars, because a massive revision and expansion took place um, in the past few months. So definitely, definitely, um, yeah, recommend that. Okay. So, wow, I really set my keynote presentation to cover my face. That's great. Um, I mean, it's fine. Just, let's see. Okay, let's continue playing. Okay, we're about to hear ties, approach, and then pass. lovely roar and what first theme of the movie first theme of the movie award goes to Kylo Ren it's his aggressive theme and of course this accompanies um the slaughtering, which um, on screen I had, I, I put an image up of, of Kylo, not slaughter, not mid-slaughter, but, you know, just standing over, standing by a bunch of dead bodies. Um, so the people that he is slaughtering are technically, if, in case you're curious, the people he is slaughtering are um, part of a Sith cult. Um, they are Alazmek, Alazmek, I don't know how to say it, colonists. Um, they're a Sith cult on Mustafar. And they're also in search of Vader's Sith Wayfinder. So, you know, 
the Sith, uh, this Kylo, if you want to call him a Sith, Sith is killing the competitive, the, the Sith competition. There's Sith competition, I guess, um, is what's happening. And he obviously wins and he gets the, um, the Wayfinder. Now, we're going to, in a bit, I'll keep playing and then we're going to hear something somewhat new. Can you hear his lightsaber in the background? So, that. So, I believe that that is something derived from the Knights of Ren motif. I have, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast, I have visuals of these motifs from Frank Lehman's catalog on screen, um, covering my face. So it's like, there's like a body and then instead of a head, there's like music notation. It's, it's quite a look. Um, Knights of Ren, you'll see that there's a fast form and a slow form. So these are new motifs in the Rise of Skywalker and already starting to hear them. Now, the thing is, now, honestly, do you think it sounds terribly different or terribly out of the realm of what Kylo Ren's themes already sound like? My answer is no. They sound pretty related, um, which we will explore a lot more this season. They're obviously quite related. It's really just like I see it as Kylo having many themes, many variants of of one theme, different ways of Kylo acting out, I guess, or different ways, different um, valences? No, different, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like a prism, like different kind of angles of him that are not all terribly that different, but sort of, anyway. Um, yeah, already episode one of the new season and I'm already trailing off in my analogy, in my metaphors. <laughs> Starting out strong. Okay, so this theme um, is something that Frank Lehman describes as a fulminating, what a great word, little motif for the long-anticipated Knights of Ren. Like many light motifs for a secondary or tertiary villain, curt in length, and not prone to development. Now that's a key point, remember that. Can resemble a bleak fanfare in some instances. Kylo Ren's posse is characterized as much by a timbre, timpani interjections, in The Rise of Skywalker as this nasty snarl of a theme. Um, the key features are both fast and slow forms. They follow some intervallic outline, long or repeated first pitch. And so what that means is like, you know, repeated, so either a long pitch or repeated, followed by a quick double chromatic neighbor around it. And so double chromatic means like you're adding a chromatic note above and below. So if this is your bass note, like your, your note that you're orienting the theme around, a chromatic neighbor above it would be Okay, this is a G. A chromatic neighbor above it would be the A flat, and the chromatic neighbor below the G would be the F sharp. So a double chromatic neighbor just means you're going. Um, 
double, it creates an emblematic villain type of sound. And it is very emblematic for John Williams himself um, because it creates a diminished third. Anyway, appears in brief spurts of underscore invariably assigned to loud brass. All right. Sorry, I forgot to put that on screen for the end there. Um, Okay, so let's continue listening. So even there, briefly, we heard a little bit of Kylo Ren's theme, and it kind of goes into something else. We're about to get another new theme. Put it up on screen. Right here. So you know that like, it kind of sounds wishy-washy and honestly it kind of reminds me of the Camino um, arpeggios. And I'm I'm, I'm referring to the like, There's so many notes, I don't even know what they all are. I'll play it again in case you missed it. But what that is, is the Sith Artifacts Wayfinder motif. Right here. And then overlaid on top of that motif. See, see what I mean? There's like so many motifs in such a small section here. Um, so overlapping is Kylo Ren's hesitant motif. Sorry. I should have played that in the right key. Let's hear. Okay, this is Sith Artifacts, Wayfinder. There we go. Now, if you want to compare that with what Kylo Ren's A theme is, which is his aggressive theme, which is the one we've heard first, that one is... And then, to contrast, the hesitant one is... So it really kind of, with similar to the Knights of Ren thing, it fixates on a single note, repeating it for a while. And then it goes down to a chromatic neighbor. Now, we talked about this a lot in... The Last Jedi season, when I hear this motif, I definitely, like, the first thing I think of is Kylo Ren in Snoke's boudoir being, like, chided out by his master. Um, Yeah. So, just Kylo Ren's couple motifs. Okay. Let's keep listening. All right. Already. Okay, we already have two more motifs, believe it or not. It's 
<laughs> it's jam packed here. Um, so first of all, what's you? Can, I bet you can hear like in the sound design the fact that Kylo is now flying because we hear this like whir of his of his engine, of course. Right. It's like the roar, but like the the perspective of it isn't like it at this point. It doesn't sound like someone on the outside of it hearing it flying past. Um, for the sound of like all these new Tie Fighters in the sequel trilogy, they did kind of go back to the original formula of Ben Burtt's, you know, combination of the like elephant elephants and um, like cars tire car tires screeching on the pavement and then um but like added maybe different element different elephants or like different cars or like different little little things to um just tweak the recipe a little bit so it sounds the same but different okay so i'm gonna put motifs back on screen so the propulsive string thing in the background is not a proper light motif, but it is an incidental motif. And so the difference between those is that light motifs are more important. I mean, they are more important in the film. So sometimes an incidental motif will be promoted to a light motif if it if it um, keeps proving that it shows up, you know, enough times and in relationship to a um, you know to a central character or idea. Um, but an incidental motif is usually, I think of it as like something that is kind of working on a smaller scale. It maybe doesn't show up as much, or maybe it's not as um, focused in, its, in, the, in the nature in which it comes up, but sometimes it is. I mean, and sometimes it's just that it doesn't show up enough times to be elevated to a motif. Um, sometimes I, th I think of it as like a, a manifestation of John Williams's underscore writing or, or just style of like accompanying main melodies or something. And sometimes he will go back and do something the same way. And so that is what makes it later be designated, become designated by someone like Frank Lehman as an incidental motif. Well, I'm not really sure if that made sense, but um, sometimes when I'm talking to people and I'm like, oh, so this is going, to, this is a, an incidental motif. Um, the reaction sometimes is like, wow, I didn't like, wow, I didn't know that there was like a motif in this. And the thing is, John Williams might not even know that there's a motif, uh, motif in it. So I would say incidental motifs are probably less like loaded with quote unquote clues or something. They're incidental. So um, the thing in the background, something like that, um, is called Journey to Exegol. it again yeah so it was like something like that something like that the point is what characterizes it is these two sets of triplets and then like a one two three one two three kind of thing 
And it comes up in a few different ways. Like one variant is... And then this one is kind of reverse, where it's instead of it's... But I would consider them, you know, the same. In fact, Frank Lehman in his catalog notes this moment that we're listening to now as the first time hearing it. And it's not the same as the way that he notates it because the way he notated it is refers to like a different time it shows up, but they're, they're the same thing. Um, so his description is aggressive ostinato used for Kylo Ren's flight to Exegol and reused for Ray's similar journey later in The Rise of Skywalker, possibly temp tracked with ostinato from Revenge of the Sith, um, 4M6 which appears to be a variant of Across the Stars. So this will be this will be fun to get into when we do Revenge of the Sith. Um, I mentioned there were two different motifs happening at the same time here. So the second one is a proper light motif, and that is Psalm of the Sith. Um, you may recognize it from the track on the soundtrack called Anthem of Evil. I went back a little bit too far, but we're getting into it. Okay. Journey to Exegol. So could you even hear it? It was, um, it's a muted trumpet playing the Psalm of the Sith. So let me, um, let me play that on the piano. So Psalm of the Sith is. You may recognize it as the podcast intro music. Um, and yeah, it just shows up really, really subtly here. Let's hear it one more time. It's just a solo muted trumpet on top of that ostinato. In fact, okay, I think I made a slide of them both together. There we go. Um, yeah, so now I have a slide up that is the journey to Exegol plus Psalm of the Sith. So, you know, obviously there's little key changes, step ups. Etc. Okay, I'll stop that for a second right now. So let me read you the description for Psalm of the Sith. Again, this is all part of Frank Lehman's new catalog, his revised catalog, where he added descriptions for the light motifs. Pre previously, there were only descriptions for the incidental motifs, these, the small ones. So now he added, you know, nice descriptions for the main light motifs. I'll read it. Okay. A dark new theme for Palpatine's final order, literally Anthem of Evil on the soundtrack album. Designation as a psalm, P-S-A-L-M, suggests an otherwise holy musical genre twisted by melodic corruptions. Never as prominent as other dark side motifs, but quite well developed in its own right. Kind of a misshapen clone of Emperor, also linked with Kylo Ren, Imperial March, and Tension. So regarding the misshapen cloneness of the Emperor's theme, 
You'll recall that the emperor's theme begins with a minor third. And this is Um, the harmonies will play into that as well. We will talk about Psalm of the Sith a lot more this season, I'm sure. And as you can probably tell, I am pers- I am inspired by that track um, because it's what I chose to do my arrangement um, for this for this season. Okay. Ooh, so many light motifs already. Okay, so. Now we are about three, three minutes and 14 seconds into this five-minute clip, and Kylo Ren is landing on Exegol, and we see not very much because it is very dark. We see things whenever there are flashes of lightning, and the lightning is very crackly. Like, the lightning is like the equivalent of Kylo Ren's lightsaber, sort of. Like there's normal lightning and then there's Exegol lightning. There's like normal lightsabers and then there's Kylo Ren's lightsaber. There, it's just, it's just gnarlier. Okay, so then Kylo Ren goes down this whole like platform thing. It's quite a lot. Um, and we don't see Palpatine at first. We just see flashes of what this grotesque looking place is. So let's let's hear. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say is like listen to all the ostinato here. We have like kind of a lot of repeated um there is overall, I would say I I I would I would be willing to bet, I think. I don't know. I think, um, that there's more ostinato in the sequel trilogy than there... Actually, I don't know. There's a lot of ostinato. Ostinato... Like, not, ostinato is not a bad thing. It just... Whenever I hear a lot of ostinato in places like this where there's not much that is changing, it makes me wonder if music was added to fill up the space. Actually, not that much. So you can hear that he's now on Exegol. Now that, uh, did you recognize the music? It's okay. <laughs> it's like I'm leaving space for, um, I don't know, for an invisible person. Anyway, that was back to the Knights of Ren stuff. So again, that was the double chromatic neighbor stuff. I'll play it again. So this is... And again, that the timpani. D... 
like at first I almost thought they were going to go into Kylo Ren's theme, right? But it's which also, you know, it also works, but it goes back to them being pretty related. So that was the fast form, technically. Okay, lightsaber stuff. We're, we're hearing the sounds of power stuff happening. We don't really know exactly what everything is, but we're, this is when we're seeing glint, like the clone tanks and just different aspects of this like that scary place. All right, that's, that's Palpatine's first, that's the first line of this film is So we hear him before we see him. I think Palpatine's voice here also, it kind of, it's on the same level as Kylo Ren's gnarly lightsaber, the gnarly lightning, uh, like the gnarl level of this setting, this Sith Citadel is like, somehow they turned it up even more a notch. Um, there is no music here. And throughout the beginning of the discussion, so we'll listen a little bit longer. The music will enter in about 20 seconds. So we're really able to focus on the sound design here in a completely different way. It's almost like when we land on Dagobah. Snoke trained you well. I killed Snoke. I'll kill you. My boy. I made Snoke. Some music. Very soft. I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. So very, very faint underscore. And now here we, we're hearing a taste. taste of this except it's an octave lower I'll go back so you can hear the little taste again I have been every voice I don't want, ever I don't want copyright to bots to pick that up because it's just annoying all right there it sounds like it's on viola Anyway, it was just a taste, but it, b believe it or not, it is an incidental motif. Putting it up on screen, that one is called Sith Seduction, described by Frank Lehman as a nervous tremolando figure for strings, heard as Palpatine is tempting Anakin in, re in Revenge of the Sith when Obi-Wan views the footage of Order 66 and repeated almost exactly in The Rise of Skywalker when Kylo Ren approaches Exegol. And then there are similar figures in Snoke's scenes of The Last Jedi. This is kind of like, goes back to what I said before of like, this might just be like a stylistic, th a thing that John Williams 
likes to do. Another explanation could be that it was that a music editor put this in. I don't know for sure, but it, it seems like it is a thing John Williams likes to do. So if you're looking at the little music reduction or, or if you're following along in Frank's catalog where you can see it you know, a little bit more clearly, what I played was what he says is a nervous tremolando figure, which means more like this. Either way, it's, it's the same thing. It's a similar thing. It's the same thing. Um, yeah, okay. So, Sith Seduction. The First Order was just the beginning. So just some creepy underscore. Give you some the music that we're hearing currently is not on the soundtrack. The first. I have died before. Dee dee dee. Again. Okay, that's the end of the minutes. So, so yeah. <laughs> In minutes one through five, we may hear more than this, but what we already do here is um, the main theme A section, the main theme B section, romantic descending trichords, starry night arpeggios, Knights of Ren, Fast Form, Sith Artifacts, Wayfinder, Kylo Ren B, Hesitant, Journey to Exegol, Psalm of the Sith A section, and Sith Seduction. And then if you have the soundtrack, this is Fanfare and Prologue and Journey to Exegol. And if you have the For Your Consideration soundtrack, also Prologue. Okay, now... It's time to move on to part two of this episode, which I hope will not be a very long episode. Um, and that is talking about the the meta of this movie, like the meta stuff of not just about this movie, but also about this season of the podcast about this movie. There are many angles I have wanted to um, approach here. And it took kind of a lot of thinking um, to, to figure out how I wanted to do this. And I'm still not sure how I want to do it, but at some point I just needed to, I just need to, to express it and then let the season speak for itself. So this is me doing that now where I'm going to kind of establish some goals I have for the season, some like big picture, like why are we doing this? Some, um, n some things that are in the back of my head that are guiding me. And one of the things that I, I want to explicitly state because it'll help guide me as well and hopefully guide listeners um, is that this season I, I want to be mindful of and switch between like two fundamentally different orientations, angles, points of view. So I think both of them are important and interesting. Um, but I want to make sure that we're not just doing one of them and not the other. Like both of them are important. So the first point of view is the meta narrative. And now this is the one that I feel has the most. I feel like this is. I feel like the meta narrative about the rise of Skywalker is somewhat the one that is the loudest. But I feel like there are more specific ways that it can be discussed because. 
the truth is a lot of information about what actually went on in the making of this movie, it, a lot of that info is still being revealed. It's still being unearthed. We're still not completely sure. So um, one of the things that I think we can do this season is just try to bring as many facts and details about the process of putting this score together. Just try to fit as many pieces together as possible. Um, of course, in the grand scheme of the whole film, there's like meta, uh, there's meta on meta on, on meta. There's like many angles that one could go about this and a lot of angles that I think people are ready to talk about and want to talk about, especially in, in, the, form of, in the form of critique. Um, but musically, there actually are a lot of clues and I, th I think there is... Um, like a separate but related discussion about what happened with the music. And I don't mean what happened, like in terms of like, why is it so bad? Like, that's not what I mean. I just mean like there has any, has anyone in the greater rise of Skywalker world of critique thought to check maybe cue lists and see if like what cue sheets were saying, because I, what I'm saying is like things on the music side of, of this production could actually hold more could could actually hold more insight than 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 people realize and there is some um there are some people who have put together some pieces of this puzzle so i'm just going to say right off the bat like this is admittedly a weaker skill for me the facts the details the like historical stuff it's it's a weaker skill for me um and I, I try my best on the podcast, but it, I rely heavily on like the sources that I find and some, you know, some, so many brilliant guests um, and listeners remind me of things that I'm missing. So when I do say things like, you know, I don't mind fact checks or corrections, or I don't mind when you send me details or like remind me of little things like with Empire Strikes Back, it happened a lot with, with people reminding me of special edition changes and whatnot. Um, I know that that info is available online, but I tend to miss a lot of those things. And so I actually do mean it when I say that I don't mind corrections and just people giving me data. Like I, I don't mind that at all. So yeah, so that's a weaker skill for me. So feel free to um, try to help me out there if you, if you want. And I won't think that you are just backseat driving. Um, now there are some people who have contributed a lot in this area. And one of them that I want to mention, because I will be referring to his spreadsheets, at least in my research a lot, is, um, again, I don't know this person in real life, um, but Jay from the J, Jay from John Williams Fan Network, jwfan.com, has um, put together a lot of information about the For Your Consideration soundtrack and use, has, has used um, just a lot of information from various, um, from various public sources uh, to put things together like this comparison of the Q, the For Your Consideration soundtrack, the, um, the OST, and some notes about like what things, what bits of music are, you know, on which soundtrack. And I'll tell you about the significance of that in a second. Um, 
you know, also things like, I guess, I, I can't remember exactly the context of this, but I, at some point people got a hold of a November 11th cut of this film. And, and I don't mean the cut of the film, but I just mean the cue sheet of the November 11th cut. Now the movie came out in December, so this would have been like a cut for, from a month before the movie came out. And you can see in, if you look at the cues, the order of the cues from this supposed November 11th cut, um, I'm not 100% sure of what the source is, but I'll try to remember. I mean, I won't try to remember. I'll try to find it. Um, you know, cue names and such can give hints sometimes about perhaps things that were switched in, in the order of, of things. So that's kind of what I mean about like sometimes the meta narrative and sometimes the mu- specifically the music, the musical data, <laughs> data about the music, clues about the music can be useful for those who want to be detectives and piece together like a bigger puzzle of how this movie came to be. Okay, so the reason why, first let me share, let me tell you what a For Your Consideration album is. I've, I've already mentioned it twice in this episode. So a For Your Consideration album, or FYC, is basically like something, it's for your consideration, like for awards, like for the Oscars or whatever. And whenever a new movie, I don't know if all studios do this, but like Disney certainly does it, um, comes out where they, where they think the score is, you know, going to be nominated or, or they're pushing for that film or, or whatnot. They will put together a for your consideration album that has, um, content from the score, the movie, the film score in it, and it won't be sold. So I'll provide a a link to, I think it's on the Wayback Machine or Internet Archive. You can still stream the tracks from the For Your Consideration album, but basically this is different from the commercial soundtrack. It's different from the commercial soundtrack because the commercial soundtrack goes to print you know, I'm putting like air quotes in print, goes, you know, goes to to mastering or whatever, you know, production earlier than the film is done. Now we discussed this during solo season because the chicken in the pot track is different on the soundtrack as it is in the film. And that's because the way that it is in the film was a last minute switch where the soundtrack album had already, had already gone to you know, the people who finished the soundtrack albums. Um, so what you hear on a first year consideration album is a more accurate represent, representation of what is in the film because it often will include things that were added later. And, um, you know, Basically, if on, J, on JW Fan Forum, there is like a, a, a little Q&A on what can, for your consideration means, or FAQ, I should say, rather. And one of the answers says, you know, that some tracks are almost the same, but the structure of the for your consideration program is fundamentally different. I'm now reading, by the way, this is, it is, it is a selection of music from the movie exactly as it appears in the final cut of the film even if the music used in the film was edited from Williams's original intentions. This could mean that a track might contain an insert Williams wrote 
later, where the original soundtrack presented his original version, or a track might contain less music than its original soundtrack counterpart of the scene um, was re-edited after the recording of the music, or even a track might contain some music artificially looped or stretched if a scene got lengthened after scoring. The Fourier consideration always reflects these non-intended conforms to final picture from start to finish. Um, also, I think, I can't remember if this is like how accurate this is, but I think the Fourier consideration album is only supposed to consider contain new music. So if things are reused, I think it do, is, doesn't count, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. But basically comparing the OST to the FYC can be useful because if you like, you know, map out the discrepancies, like where something in the soundtrack in the OST might, maybe the track continues longer, but maybe on the FYC for your consideration, maybe instead of continuing longer, it's like shorter and then there's like a new part or whatever. Basically that discrepancy can sometimes point to the part where there was a change or an edit or just like something, you know, it's like a hot zone for like, what's happening here? Um, and particularly since a lot of things on the For Your Consideration album are not on the original soundtrack, that can also sometimes point to it being added, that part of the, the music in that part of the film being added by the editor or, you know, being artificially looped, like it says here or stretched if a scene got lengthened after scoring. And now I haven't, I can't remember off the top of my head if that part where I said, you know, the ostinato where Kylo's flying to Exegol, like I said, sometimes when an ostinato kind of stretches out a little bit, it makes me wonder that. That's the context in which I'm saying that. Um, I'm not sure about that particular example though, so <laughs> apologies. Um, okay, so, so that's the spiel about the For Your Consideration album. And this season I will try to... Um, in addition to saying what part of the OST soundtrack you can find the music heard in these minutes, I'll also correspondingly um, say where you, you know, if you can find it on the For Your Consideration album. Um, yeah. So all of what I just said was part of objective number one this season, which is to consider the meta narrative of this film. And again, and that is mainly for, I mean, I think it's like for historical purposes and for understanding how, the, how, what's the phrase? The sausage is cooked? That's a thing people say, right? How the sausage is cooked. How the, how the sausage was made. Yeah, I think it is, um, it is worth knowing about that stuff, especially now, um, I guess always, but um, especially with Star Wars and where the process can sometimes be um, a little bit lost or like old versions of things can be lost or, or, or whatnot. I do think it is important to, to learn these things, to know these things, um, just for the purposes of being able to provide more accurate and informed critique of media moving forward because I guarantee whatever happened in The Rise of Skywalker is happening in films all over the industry. Technology and setups, you know, the way things are done is, is not unique to 
Star Wars at this moment. Okay, so the second orientation objective this season is to just do a reading of the media as it is. This is definitely my strong suit. I personally have more fun diving into the analysis and coming up with the interpretations and, and thinking about the like thematic meanings and all the fuzzier abstract things like, you know, what does this mean? How does it play out in the scene? Like, you know, just linking sort of more big picture literary analysis with for music. Um, that's definitely more of my strong suit. So that will also be a big part of this season. Um, but I will be trying to do both as much as I can. And I'm sure many guests will counterbalance me and I'm sure some will have, you know, varying strengths and interests as well. Um, so yeah, meta and just what is there. I would hate for um, the season to just be all about like what quote unquote went wrong and not ever get into, but what is? What can we make of what is? Because so many works that we study through that came to us from you know a time period that we didn't live in. In school, we're 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 forced to look at things how they are, and when we don't know anything about the meta, that's the only choice we have. So, I I, I try to imagine you know. What if we don't have the meta? Because I think a lot of the meta, <laughs> I'm kind of going into like uh, an abstract um, territory. I apologize. I think a lot of what happens in the meta might actually tie into what ends up being read as is uh, in the media. I should stop talking about this now. It'll come up through the season. Um, I'm just going to tell you one thing off the bat that is like a thematic thing that I have been fixating on increasingly when it comes to this movie, which I didn't watch for a few years after it came out. I mean, I watched it in the theater twice, and then it wasn't until this year, preparing for this season, that I finally watched it again. Um, so one of the themes that really sticks out to me and I will be um, bringing up a lot this season is the theme of friendship. So if we zoom out and consider all of the Star Wars film scores, each film, or at least each trilogy, introduces music that sounds heroic, music that sounds villainous, and music that sounds romantic. There are other categories too, of course, um, like comedic, you know, comic relief, whatever. But those are the main ones, I think. Now, romantic music doesn't have to be explicitly about romance. In A New Hope, Princess Leia's theme is the source of their romantic sound. In Empire Strikes Back, Han and Leia, that's romantic. Um, in Return of the Jedi, I'd say like Luke and Leia. Even I could say, you know, Yoda's theme. In The Last Jedi, Rose's theme is the, you know, prominent new romantic addition. And there's a lot of romantic sounding music throughout the saga, of course. Um, and the, that term is up to interpretation, of course. But in The Rise of Skywalker, a lot of the new romantic sounding music is there to denote friendship and unity, strength in numbers. I actually think this is a unique strength of this film score. Um, 
is its earnest expression of, of friendship. I think that is something relatively new. I think that's something unique to the rise of Skywalker, to be quite honest. And I'm not saying that this is the only film to have music about friendship, but I often find um, friendship theme music to be extremely fucking cheesy. So I think good, wholesome music, like about friendship and whatever, um, is not easy to pull off. I, as a composer myself, I think it's much easier to write something that is like twisted and evil or something that has a lot of passion behind it where there's like a very like hot source of fire, something, something like that. It's hard to like write friendship music. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not easy to pull off. What I'm saying is that this score, I think, does it really well. Um, definitely among the best friendship music I've heard in film scores. And we will talk more this season about how the music elevates the bonds between these characters and which elements on screen, including the actors, um, also may be helping the music to have this bigger impact or what I think is a bigger impact. Um, I will actually play a few examples that I prepared to, um, to whet your appetite, I guess, for what is to come. So first I'm going to play from the track, We Go Together. And this is the music that we hear, we first hear it on Agent Kloss. This is when Finn, Poe, and Ray, you know, on the rebel encampment. I think it's really beautiful, but what if you look in Frank Lehman's catalog, um, he calls this the friendship motif. And just to be clear, it is this, you know, sorry, <laughs> oops. Um, and I think like as a friendship theme it's definitely not happy-go-lucky like it's not like yay friends playing I don't don't know why I'm playing with yeah I can't I don't know why I can't just say off I don't really like have I don't really (laughs) I'm not a very social person. And so me trying to just think of like what friends do, that was just very embarrassing. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, it's not happy-go-lucky. Like the friendship theme is, it's tinged with sadness. Like let's hear a little bit of it again. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) that was very embarrassing. Like it starts hopeful. It's like adult friendship. 
just there where it like starts low. Like it starts low and goes, does a big leap. And we, and, and we've talked about this many times on this podcast, uh, you know, music that has big rises in range. Um, I think here, like also with the, with the minor harmony, this is where the sadness starts to enter. Now we're starting up again with the hope. And then here, it's like, there's a, you're almost not sure where it stops because it keeps on going. And the way that Frank describes it, he says that the, you know, key features in it are, he says, like some other extended themes, it seems to already be developing when it starts. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's such an interesting um, way to, to kick off the friendship in this movie. It's like, there's the hopefulness, there's a sadness, there's like the fragility in the friendship. And it, it, it feels very much like a friendship motif for the end of the world, if that makes sense. Now, I'm also going to play from where this later comes up at the end of the film. So this comes up, you know, in, in, among, in you know, the very last minutes of the film, um, at least the last 10 minutes. And it is when, after the good guys have won, um, it's when, when Finn, Poe, and Ray are hugging again. So when we first see them in this film, they're fighting. But, you know, you can tell that they're still friends or whatever. But then they are embracing here and... I'm probably crying or something. So here we go. This is end of the film. It's a proper friendship motif. The sadness is still there, but it, the hopefulness is, is more pr pronounced than before. It sounds much more strength in numbers. Okay, so I'll play you one more example of like what I consider to be a unique strength of this movie in the score. And it is not technically the friendship motif, but let me play you, actually, I'm gonna play you directly from the, like with the dialogue and stuff so you can hear, and then I'll play where this corresponds in the soundtrack. Red Five is in the air. Ray's alive. I see him. People are rising up all over the galaxy. Oh, we did it. We did it. Oh, I love that chord. So. Gosh, I don't want to turn it off. It sounds like somewhat similar to the friendship theme, kind of. This is the quote-unquote victory theme, and if you have the soundtrack, this is 
basic, it's the rise of Skywalker theme. I, I consider it like the main theme of this movie. And even though it's symbolic of victory, now I, I'm going to play it again without the dialogue so you can hear the music a little bit more clearly. And then I'll continue talking about this theme in a second. Okay. It's like ramping up or stepping up more so. So technically that's a victory theme, but the nature of this victory at this, you know, part of the movie isn't like bang, bang, I shot the bad people, I'm so strong. Clearly this is also not within my range of experience. Um, look, I'm so badass and powerful. It's more like, look what we did when we came together. It's, see, it's like one of those cheesy unifying things. However, it's earnestly, beautifully executed by John Williams. And... There you go. It's the theme for The Rise of Skywalker. Um, and I actually love it. So, spoiler. Um, I have mostly good things to say about this um, track, this motif, um, this track. And I, and I think just the, you know, this, this film, even though there are lots of people throwing feelings at each other, it's not like it's not without, this film is not without romance, per se. But none of these little romances or like side romances or potential romances or like crushes or whatever, like have their own theme, right? The thing in this movie that gets themes is the friendship. And, and that is like what I, that is probably my favorite thing about this score or like one of the things that I think this score does uniquely well. Um, moving on. <laughs> I'll tell you a few more things to look forward to in a second, but I just wanted to get that out of the, out of the way because um, it is something in, in the back of my mind throughout this whole movie is like the way that friendship um, sounds. Another thing that I'm thinking about this whole season or that I will be thinking about this whole season because it's something um, that I think about whenever I think about this film um, is the matter of premises and assumptions. Now, there are a number of... People love to argue about this film. I mean, all Star Wars films, but I feel like wading into the territory of The Rise of Skywalker particularly is something that I've been a little bit nervous about because I... I, I want to make sure that not... I don't, I don't want every episode to just be like why you did or didn't like either a defense or, or a teardown. Like, there has to be a way for us to talk about like things that are there and to, you know, also talk about 
the meta and critiques are abs- critiques and defenses are also welcome, but I don't want it. I don't want it to be like just a repetitive like chain. I don't. I don't want the conversations to be repetitive in the same like arguments that are online. That whatever. Um, and I think one thing that I am, am keeping in mind is the arguments that rely on shaky premises. This happens on all sides. And this happens for all films too. And um, I'm just going to mention a few premises that I will be challenging when they come up this season and will be interrogating um, a little bit because they will come, they inevitably will come up. Um, and let me know what you think of these and let me know if you have any more to add. Sorry if this sounds a little bit abstract until I read it, so I will read it now. Also, thank you to Ender Smith for helping me with this list. Okay, so one premise, one shaky premise, um, is that unplanned trilogy equals bad and planned trilogy equals good. So one reason I think this is like a common thing that comes up. And it's not even that it comes up, it's just a fundamental assumption that I think a lot of people have when talking about this movie. And it comes out in terms of like, obviously they had no plan or whatever. And I get that that's like a joke that people say. I get that that's just like a throw off, throw away thing. And I mean, it, it's... I guess it's fine to make jokes, I guess. Um, And sure, people will kind of gleefully point to interviews where maybe J.J. Abrams or someone has kind of admitted to not knowing where something was going. And I just want to nip this in the bud right now. Um, It sounds like I'm preemptively controlling guests and I'm not trying to do that. I just just want to get my my thoughts on it out there. to begin with. Uh, and that is that I don't think unplanned necessarily equates bad and I don't think planned necessarily equates good. So that is sort of like a grounds for discussion that I don't, that I would love to move past to get to critiques that don't rely on that. That's all I'm saying. Um, another one is that people who like The Last Jedi primarily liked it because it cuts ties from the original trilogy. And people who like The Rise of Skywalker, kind of the opposite. I think this is also an assumption that is not necessarily true. And... Over, reduces um, fans to, I think it imposes a framework that fans are going into movies expecting, where it's like we go into a movie thinking, okay, do I want the same or do I want different? Where, where, where in reality, I think any, I'll just say me as an example. Me, when I'm going to watch this film, I'm not going into it thinking, do I, Am I going to get the same or am I going to get different? That's not a vector. That's not like a scale that I'm consciously thinking of. 
So kind of imposing my perception of that scale to begin with is already is misaligned. And, and I just, the, the reason these things kind of bother me a little bit is just because then I, it's hard for me to engage in discussion about things when I feel like all the premises that they're built on don't apply to me, and which means they probably don't apply to, to other people as well. And it kind of prevents me from actually getting to the heart of the issues, which I think that there are issues and I want to get to the heart of them, not to the meme version of the heart of them. I don't know. Okay. Um, number three is that the creators of The Rise of Skywalker res were responding to negative fan reaction from The Last Jedi. I think uh, this is uh, a less common of a thing for people to throw around these days now that we know, you know, the timeline of the of working on these films is like, they didn't have time for The Last Jedi to come out, for them to gauge the fan reaction, and then to like work on The Rise of Skywalker. Now, I said earlier that I'm not great at facts and details, so maybe something like this will come out where actually it was true and like maybe they made last minute changes because of that kind of thing. Perhaps, perhaps, maybe. Um, I'm not saying this is false and I'm not trying to debunk any of these claims. I'm just saying like, it's to assume that rather than to assume not that is, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Um, the next one is this film showed that the only people that matter in the Skywalker saga are the Skywalkers and Palpatines. Not true. I mean, this is just something... It, this is not true because it's an opinion, and that may be what it means to you personally, but it is not something the movie is doing. Does that distinction make sense? Um, so kind of assuming that your take, and that that is a popular take, definitely a popular take, and I don't want to take that away from anyone who feels, who walked away feeling that, but then using that as a premise, you know, use, kind of using that as a basis for other critique only engages people who also agree with that premise. And there are tons of people who don't, myself included. I, that's not what I walked away from this movie feeling. And it's okay if other people did, but it is not a throwaway um, assumption and premise to base things off of. It's totally fine if this comes up this season, but just like, just know that it's not a um, it's not a fundamental truth. Okay, the last one I'll say for this very weird section um, is, and this is something that Ender um, added to this list, which was that any the idea that any individuals put ulterior motives above the goal of making a good movie. I'll say that again: that any individuals put their own ulterior motives above the goal of making a good movie. I'm not saying that any people didn't have ulterior motives. We all have our ulterior motives for things all the time when we do things. 
but conspiracy theories about like wanting to ruin the movie by undermining certain things, I, I don't know, like shaky premise at best. Okay, this section is over. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if people have more to add, let me know in the comments. Um, if this, if none of that, this part made sense, hopefully I'll have a timestamp so you could, you could skip it. But I will say that like these premises are personally important to me. Like it is personally um, important for me to, um, to express th these. And this is only scratching the surface of all the various things because um, in preparation for this season, people have been sending me like videos of like critiques and, you know, maybe essays and things from other, of other people. And I will possibly address some of them. Um, but I am always, um, the trustworthiness of an argument for me depends on whether these things are being assumed and built off of. Okay. So the Last bit of info that I want to give is, is a little bit of um, miscellanea, miscellany. I don't know what it's called. Okay, one thing to look forward to in this film is that there are two bits of source music. And by source music, that means music that is coming from the source on screen, diegetic music. Um, one of them is during the Pisana celebration and the the song is called Lido Hay. It's composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda and J.J. Abrams. Um, the source is the Pisana Celebrants. We will get there. And then the second one, which is kind of a funny one, is uh, it takes place in the Kajimi Bar at Oma's place. And this is um, this is where John Williams has his cameo as Oma as um, Oma Trace. Is that? I think that's what his name is. Um, yeah, that's it's where John Williams is a bartender. So two bits of source music. Um, additionally, this is a little bit of a housekeeping note, and that is um, the timestamps that I use for this movie this season. Um, they are about 16 seconds ahead of the timestamps that Frank Lehman uses in his catalog. So as I continue to like encourage you to check out his catalog and I'm sure a lot of people will and already do. If you can't find something that you're looking for, try skipping, try adding, adds, try adding 16 seconds to the number that you see in his catalog and then checking there. <laughs> um, this applies to most of the catalog, it doesn't apply to 60B Sith artifacts. I don't know, I'm not really sure why. I'll probably mention it to him at some point or maybe I'll help him um, get the time stamps kind of internally consistent or whatever. But just, just know that um, it can be a little bit confusing sometimes to look at the catalog, especially if it's for new themes that you don't know what they sound like yet and then you try to go to the timestamp and it doesn't look like what it is there, but you're not sure if you should go before ahead or behind. So yeah. Um, again, my timestamps are ahead. 
So if you see in his catalog that Knights of Ren fast form, let me just pull that up. If you see that Knights of Ren fast form um, appears at 307, according to my copy of the film, it's actually 323. Okay. I hope that helps anyone who is confused about that because I was confused at first, but it is actually mostly consistent if you just add 16 seconds. All right. And then the last thing I'll say is um, prize to, who was it on Twitter? Who um, suggested that I do Anthem of Evil? It was Joms Bryn. I'm sorry if I didn't say your name right. This is just your Twitter handle. Um, basically said that um, they kind of were hoping that I did Anthem of Evil for the arrangement for this podcast. And they were correct that that is indeed what I did. However, um, as you still haven't heard the outro because this podcast episode hasn't ended, I want to give you a challenge, listeners, and... So the cover is overall Anthem of Evil, which you can find on the soundtrack. And by the way, you don't hear what's on the soundtrack in the movie. It's a concert arrangement. Now we do hear the Anthem of Evil motif, but the way that it is on the soundtrack specifically, maybe I should play that for a second. This is not in the film. Neither is the track, The Rise of Skywalker, the concert arrangement. Again, motifs from them are used in the film. But this track specifically is a concert arrangement. So that's what the intro music for this season is. But the outro music, um, I mean, it's all one track, but what I'm saying is like the second half of the track incorporates a bunch of other themes that appear in this film. So the challenge is, to name as many themes as you can pick up on. So just drop a comment or something um, with, with themes you can spot. I think there are at least, I think there are six maybe, um, just themes thrown in there. Some of them we went over today in this, in this episode because some of them are some of these new themes. I won't say which ones, but um, yeah. So the, the objective, you can count the, you can count Anthem of Evil. Or, you can count, it's the Psalm of the Sith is the Anthem of Evil leitmotif. You can count that too. So you can count the themes from the intro and outro all, all together. I'm just curious um, which ones will be audible to people, which ones people will pick up on. And remember, um, I will like, I think whoever comes close or whatever, I'll, I'll mention you on the podcast. Um, I'm curious if anyone can get them all or like, most of them, you know, all of them except one or two. And if you want to hear this arrangement in its entirety, I have posted it on my Discord server. Um, and if you want to join my Discord server, just become a patron at any level, and that should grant you automatic entry into that wonderful server of people who are, you know, who like Star Wars and are supporting this show. But any, any level can gain you access to the Discord server if you want to hear the rest of the cover. Um, you know what? That is actually 
all I have for today. If you're not already following Star Wars Minute Podcast, Pete and Alex are also going through The Rise of Skywalker at a rate of five minutes per week, one minute per day. Um, So check them out too. I was a guest on their season already. They're weeks ahead of me. I started my season later than them. I might catch up. Um, But anyway, it might be some, um, you know, there might be some interesting synchronicities there. And um, yeah, I guess that's all I have for now. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be back this season. Um, May the force be with you. And thank you for listening to Star Wars Music Minute.